0: Well, we finished the book of Luke, amazingly. I'm not sure how many sermons it took or how long that took us, but it took a while. And now we're starting a new book, the book of Exodus. And uh, we're going to proceed in the uh, re- chapters following Exodus for a while. So this will probably be our uh, station here for a while. So tonight uh, we're going to begin Exodus 1. So a new book and a A new, completely different topic. And uh, what we're going to see, we read all of Acts 5. Thank you for that. Uh, We're going to actually see some very interesting parallels between Acts 5 and Exodus 1, of all places. So, let us stand for the reading uh, of God's holy word from Exodus chapter 1. We'll read the whole chapter. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Nephtali, Gad, and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, for Joseph was, already, was in Egypt already, and Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we are. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of a war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh's supply cities, Pithom and Ramses." But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick. And in all manner of service in the field. And their service, which they made them serve, was with rigor. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other Pua. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, see them on their birth stools. If it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dwelt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that He provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Amen. Let us pray. O oh, Father in heaven, as we study this word now and see what you have for us, would you, by the Holy Spirit, illuminate our hearts unto this word? In Jesus' name, Amen. And you may be seated. Now, we're starting in the book of Exodus, which you might think, we skipped a book. <laughs> yes, we did. We're jumping right into Exodus. Uh, so let's back up a little bit and give a little background so we know where we're at. We're sort of coming somewhat, somewhat in the middle of a scene here as we start Exodus 1. So let's back up for a little bit of history, and this will maybe even provide some context as we go forward uh, through the Old Testament. So remember, God's people have actually been living in Goshen for quite some time. And this Goshen is part of the land of Egypt. Now, do you remember how they got in Egypt? What are they doing in Egypt, of all places? Well, you might recall that God sent Joseph ahead of God's people, if you will, when he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And then you might remember Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams and then by interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, Joseph learned that God is going to be sending seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine upon the whole world. But because of this interpretation, Pharaoh puts Joseph effectively in charge of the whole nation preparing for the famine, so they store up during the good years of plenty, so they can have food in the year of famine. And in fact, in Genesis forty-one forty-nine, it says, "And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured." So you're talking about a lot of stored up food. And so this ends up saving Egypt, right? This the, probably the rest of the world was in quite dire straits because. They did not know about the dream of seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. But it saved, it saved Egypt and effectively saved Israel, too, because Joseph's brothers and their father were in desperate need of food. And, of course, they found it in Egypt uh, through their brother who was in charge. And so they all moved to Egypt to survive with all their grandchildren and all their prosper, prosperity for, for, for many generations. And so they, again, so they settled when they came. We see at the end of uh, Genesis, uh, God's people settled in Goshen. That's kind of where he placed them in this part of the land of Egypt. And now remember, the Egyptians did not like the people of God. And that was the case from the very beginning. But the Hebrews survived, right, because they were provided for through Joseph's bounty and, of course, the favor he had on them. Because of his relationship and under his leadership. So, that kind of takes us to where we are today. Israel has been living in Egypt ever since. And something important that we're going to look at, it's going to come up later tonight as we apply this passage, is to remember that this Israel, the God's people that now living in Goshen, is the same Israel that received the promises of Abraham. Right? And just some of these promises of Abraham thinking back to Genesis 12 and Genesis 20 here's just some of them God said to Abraham and of course to all his people I will make you a great nation I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and you and in all you the families of the earth shall be blessed and also remember that God said to Abraham look now towards heaven count the stars And if you are able to number them, so shall your descendants be. So it's, of course, the picture of abundant multiplication and prosperity and growth of the people of God. It's a bounty of multiplication and blessing. And so we actually see the fruition of these promises right here today in Exodus 1. Um, And look at uh, Exodus 1 verse 7. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly. Multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now, to say the land is filled with something, is uh, is something uh, akin to something we're probably not very familiar with here in Colorado. What would you say our land is filled with? Maybe yucca plants or something like that, or grass. But it's just you look out, and all that's all you see. And so this is this is significant. It came from a small people to a huge, huge nation now in the land of Egypt, which is really not their land. So, this is great news. We have the fulfillment already of of God's promises, but there's fulfillment, there's growth, and there's actually so many Israelites, there's so many Hebrew, they're growing so fast that Pharaoh is very concerned. He's very concerned. This new Egyptian leader is concerned. Now, I'd like to just pause for a moment. Let's talk about this new pharaoh, or it says, king of Egypt. Um, our text in verse 8 specifically says that this king did not know Joseph. Remember that? Did not know Joseph. And of course, Joseph had died. And we know that it was God's use of the previous pharaoh's favor upon Joseph that really Israel was saved, right? Um, the previous pharaoh loved Joseph. He loved Joseph, and he not only released him from jail, but he put him in charge, and he actually blessed him. And basically, whatever Joseph asked for, he's like, oh, yeah, you can do that. You want to bring your family in? Oh, yeah, no problem. So all of Joseph's countrymen came to Egypt and, of course, not just lived, but, like, thrived there. This multiplication was happening. And in the Bible, this is one of the most incredible examples of showing us, I think, the phenomenal power of relationships, of relationships, and an access and blessing that is gained through who you know. Um, have you ever heard that phrase, it's all about who you know? And, and there's the, really the providential hand of God sometimes putting someone in the right place at the right time to provide a means for god's people and my wife and i would say this has happened numerous times over uh the time of our marriage and it's always amazing you know we just happen to find ourselves in the right place at the right time there's somebody else there that can grant access or favor to something or other and that's god's providential blessing but back to the book of Exodus, we see God's people are now prospering, multiplying so much, but this new pharaoh, he has no compassion on these people. He doesn't really care who these people are. He doesn't remember Joseph, and he didn't remember what Joseph did to save Egypt, even though it was significant. This pharaoh is mainly just concerned, I don't know who these people are, but they're growing out of control, and they are becoming dominant in the land. And he is very concerned that they are going to become more powerful than the Egyptians. Look at verse 10. And he said to his people, this is the the Pharaoh. He said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we are. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of the war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. And so go up out of the land. He's He's worried about two things. He's worried about the Israelites joining their enemies, but also leaving. Why did he care if they left? Why, why did he not want them to leave? Because we're going to find he's, he's going to use these people. <laughs> he's going to use them. And uh, so we see that this makes sense. He is concerned, obviously, about a threat, but he's also concerned about losing manpower, as we're going to see. And he had a lot of work he wanted to do. But really, this makes sense. And I would actually, I want to relate it to modern day that we live in, in America. uh, Maybe perhaps even in a more shrewd way, this is happening right now in America. In a way. Um, This really happens in every nation where a godless leader is in charge. He has to be in charge, and he wants to control everything. He wants to have things uh, his way. He wants to be able to control everyone. And, and effectively, this is the, the, the ideology that flows still today out of uh, several bad philosophies. One of them is communism, right? That nobody can prosper above anyone else. There must be this equity, and therefore another entity, the government, must own everything and effectively own all the people. And in return, For the privilege of just living in the nation. And that's effectively what this pharaoh is saying. You can't just take over my nation. We're not going to allow that. And amazingly, this is actually what's taught in the schools today. I don't know if it's taught in the public schools. Because I don't go to the public school. I don't know if it's taught in the universities. Uh, But it is certainly taught uh, to the generations. That we see what is happening in our nation is not directly taught as you think it would be taught, but it's rather by not teaching something. You know you can actually teach something by excluding truth, right? That is, that is instructive. Um, right now, the state of Florida just passed a bill where public school teachers in Florida are required now to dedicate at least 45 minutes of instruction on the victims of communism. Hmm. Each student is to be taught about communist leaders around the world and how people have suffered under those regimes. Regimes, Interesting. Only 45 minutes per year, <laughs> but it's something, right? So what the legislature in Florida is concerned about is that the truth of some of, these, some of these ideologies is not being taught properly, or it's just taught the, they're, they're taught in a good light. And so may we, of course, teach our children the truth of God's word and pray for a quickening of the fear of God in their hearts. And so that's what flows out, the right application of these things to life. And so just for everybody to remember, when we teach something, uh, the, the Bible says it this way, teach the whole counsel of God. Right, you don't just want to teach pieces and parts, but I think that's a principle that applies to everything. If you were to teach someone um, about changing the oil in your car, and you just taught them parts about it, right? Like just drain the oil, just pull out that plug, drain the oil, and just put new oil in, and just drive away, and you forgot to tell them to put the drain plug back in, uh, they wouldn't get very far. And that's what we don't want to do in our teaching. We don't want to exclude things. We want to teach the full counsel of God in of course instructive to the Bible, but in any subject and in any manner. Now, Pharaoh, his focus of control was directed towards the Israelites. Again, because Pharaoh felt threatened by the Israelites. And so I want to go through, he actually, he actually started with, we'll call it plan A. Pharaoh's plan A. What was his first plan to control this thriving nation of people? Well, verse 11. Therefore, they sent taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. So, so plan A of Pharaoh was simply to enslave the Hebrews. Well, let's enslave these people, not, but not just enslave them, but actually in a slavery that afflicts them with burden so they know who's in charge and again this is a way of stopping their dominance in the land ensuring they don't multiply and grow any more out of control and so he treated them very harshly it says a violent taskmaster but what happened as a result verse 12 the more the egyptians afflicted the hebrews the more they grew and multiplied uh oh Plan A does not seem to be working very well. (laughs) His hope of oppressing them was not working. So, let's go to plan B. Right, It's a good option. So now, plan B in verses 13. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. And so, not only were they enslaved, and they were afflicted, and they were oppressed... The Egyptians now, sort of in the next, the next duel of this effort, they made their lives even more difficult with harsher treatment. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail as to what this is, but we know this through some historical uh, literature that they were, this was very severe, uh, very harsh. And there could be, We, we don't exa- again, don't know the exact nature of it, but taskmasters, harsh taskmasters, you can imagine uh, the Egyptians' Right there, commanding them, perhaps even inflicting punishment on them if they were not working hard enough or fast enough or producing whatever they wanted. And so it was the Egyptians laid cruelty upon the Hebrews through their harsh enslavement. But the Hebrews continued to multiply incredibly. But of course we know this multiplication is based upon what? God's hand. Remember the promise God gave to Abraham. And remember that God is not thwarted by man, right? Man does not stop the intentions of God. The promises of God are unstoppable no matter what man does. But now, Pharaoh is determined to crush the Hebrew people. But he now considers plan C. Plan A did not work. Plan B did not really work. He now needs another plan. But plan C, he decides, he tries to be a little more sneaky, ...and sly, which his plan is to stop any new, new Hebrew boys from being born and from growing up. So his plan was to kill the Hebrew boys at birth. Look at verse 15. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shifra, ...and the name of the other Pua, and he said, "...when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women... You see them on the birth stools. it as a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. So this is plan, Pharaoh's plan C. Okay, I tried to enslave you people. I tried to, I was really hard. Now I'm just going to have to kill you. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I tried, But he's trying to be sneaky about it. It's like, I'm just going to work with these, these midwives. Nobody's really going to know. They're just going to do the killing for me. And we're all good. He's kind, of, he's kind of taking the attrition approach. Well, they're really this big nation, but eventually they won't have any more children, and, and that'll work. Now, an interesting question. Why kill the boys, not the girls? Why kill the boys, not the girls? Well, because he actually didn't want to completely extinguish off the entire Hebrew people. He actually liked them as slaves. They were actually perhaps getting a lot done for him. So, but, but what he didn't want, remember, remember back to verse 10, he didn't want the men, the boys growing up who are strong warriors, at least in those days, that, that's who the warriors were, who could revolt against him, right? And so he needed to get rid of the men, the strong ones, and he actually was going to let the women live because they could continue to serve him, and they could actually, maybe through the Egyptians, continue to have children and, uh, and serve his nation as slaves, But this would allow the Hebrews to exist uh, while really rendering them pretty, pretty weak and powerless. And it's just worth mentioning, as a side note, that in our world of gender confusion, even pagan kings know the difference between men and women. And it's a very significant difference. So anyway, Pharaoh's sneaky approach to accomplish this murderous plan is to command the midwives of the Hebrews to kill the baby boys when they're born. But if it's a girl, you can let the girls live. And his thought was, look, if the midwives are doing the killing of the babies right after they're born, then they could just blame the child's death on a variety of natural factors, right? The child just died during the birth process, or the child was stillborn, or the, trial, the child had, I don't know, its cord wrapped around its neck and it suffocated or something. All kinds of natural, it's just like, it's, I'm sorry, just all the boys happen to be dying. But this whole scene, it really has incredible parallels to the abortion culture today. You see that? It's really interesting because it's clear in our society. Here's one thing that's become clear. The easiest way to commit murder is to do it as close to the womb as possible. right? Or, and today, or as far away from the womb as possible. And that's why abortion and elderly euthanasia, I think, are a godless society's approach to dispose of unwanted people or to control a population. Uh, You might remember Margaret Sanger, the champion of Planned Parenthood, who they have a whole page and dedication and memorials to. She said, the most merciful thing that a large family in America can do is to kill its infants. Just wickedness. But this is, this is the idea of Pharaoh, too. Pharaoh has a plan to do this, to murder children as close to the womb as possible. And basically, nobody will notice. Right? Nobody will notice. And he spoke this to, now it says two women, Shifra and Puah. Now, were these the only two midwives in all of Israel, do you think? Probably not. You're talking about a very large nation, some estimates a million people. Um, this more likely these midwives were probably maybe some leader, had a leadership aspect or were in charge of other midwives or maybe they, uh, they were the most experienced um, or perhaps they were involved in setting how this would go about. But here, here's a very important point. Who were these people? Who were these two ladies, Shifra and Pua? Were they Israelites or were they Egyptians? Because this is actually up for interpretation. But actually, after my study of this, I believe these two midwives were not Hebrews. I believe they were Egyptians. And there are several reasons for this interpretation. Notice in our text, in verse 15, it says, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. Now, In the original Hebrew, this can be interpreted as Hebrew midwives or the midwives of the Hebrews. Either way. And it's also strange to think that uh, Pharaoh would go to two ladies and tell them to basically kill their own people. But if you think if they were Egyptians, he might say, well, these are Egyptians. They're for me. They're for the nation. They'll do this. Um, and we have to remember that the Hebrews were extremely controlled at this point by the Egyptians. The Hebrews were enslaved, and it's, it's very likely that uh, the Egyptians were entrenched into everything they did. In other words, you might think, well, why would the Hebrews let the Egyptians be their midwives? That's kind of weird. But you understand, when, when you're in slavery, and this actually happened in America, that uh, Parts in sections of when, when there were slaves in America, they would not just let them have children. There was a, there was a, a oversight over every single thing that happened and how it took place. And this is probably the condition, knowing it was harsh and bitter uh, upon the Hebrews at this time. Notice something else: if these midwives were Hebrews, why why would they uh, why would they so sort of go into this right away and even? You know, we don't have any rebellion at that point against Pharaoh. We also see that later in the chapter of how they speak to Pharaoh. Listen to how they speak to Pharaoh in verse 19. The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come. So they're kind of saying, look, Pharaoh, we, you know we're all Egyptians here, but let us explain to you these Hebrews are a little different. That's kind of their idea. And so another reason that these are most likely... Egyptians. Um, Now, you can actually understand how did these Egyptians, midwives, become sympathetic to the Hebrews? Why? Well, I think you can understand for a couple reasons why that may have happened. First of all, in the midst of war and strife and survival, think of that. These are, they're enslaved, it's harsh, they have taskmasters, they're just fighting for survival. In the middle of that, a child is born. Such a sweetness to it, isn't it? In the middle of, of harsh, oh, a baby. I mean, some of you, you've seen Joseph, right? He's probably the newest person we have in our congregation. He's so sweet, he's so innocent. And it sort of breaks through, kind of, sort of cuts through all that violence, doesn't it? And so the Egyptian midwives are there, And they're helping the Hebrew women. They're comforting them. One of the most precious moments in a woman's life, having a child. And you know what happens during the labor process? Now, for some women, it's really fast, like my wife. But I know for some women, labor for days. And either way, there's just a lot of time. There's a lot of time in the whole labor process. And so, you imagine these Egyptian midwives were getting to talk. To the Hebrew women, for I mean, for years and decades, perhaps even to this point, for a long, long time. And what were the Hebrew women doing? Well, they were probably sharing with them about their God, about their God, about the the promises of God, about their faith, over and over and over again. And the midwives saw those promises of God coming true, right? Because think about it. Guess what? The Hebrew midwives these these midwives to the Hebrews saw. They saw the promises of God come true. The promises to Abraham come true that the Hebrew ladies told them about. Despite the harsh treatment, they were still multiplying. And so, I believe, and I'm not alone, but I particularly believe that uh, these midwives were actually Egyptians that had been converted and trusted in God and had faith in God and more importantly feared God and they actually probably grew to love the women they served they loved the Hebrews and the Hebrew women and so we see these midwives would not kill the baby boys but they saved them and they actually lied to Pharaoh they lied to Pharaoh didn't they and uh, because they said the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women there's a great, a great lie. They, they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Now, there might have actually been some truth in that, right? Could have been like a half truth. But you see, the reason the Scripture gives us is because they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, which also shows you something about their allegiance. I mean, they had pretty much cast off their allegiance to Pharaoh, and they feared the God of the Hebrews at this time. And they held tight to the promises of God. They displayed what's really bold faith. They didn't compromise. They knew what was the truth, that they should not kill these babies, even in the threats of a wicked ruler. And this was a wicked ruler. I mean, you look at what they've done, he's done to this whole population of Hebrews, but they did not fear him. I mean, they you know, very likely could have. And think, perhaps these midwives were even young in their faith. Perhaps they, they had just, just understood and trusted in God, but they left the outcome to God, as it were. Uh, They they could have been punished by Pharaoh, of course, for going against his command. But it says in verse 20, God dwelt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mightily. And just to remember, this is Pharaoh's plan C, and that didn't work either. We're going to find him go to plan D, but I think Pastor Schweitzer will take that up next week. Uh, But... They continued to grow and multiply, okay? So now we're faced with this sort of ethical ethical, or theological dilemma, ethical dilemma. It seems the midwives lied to Pharaoh because they covered. This is how they saved the baby boys. This was their answer to Pharaoh. But is lying acceptable? Is lying acceptable? No, no. Lying is not good. It's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? The Ninth Commandment. But if the midwives lied, why did God deal well with them? Is it ever right or okay to lie? Ever right or okay to lie? Well, you're probably thinking about this story, but you might also be remembering the story of Rahab, another person that lied. Who lied to protect the Israelite spies in her house. And where was her house? Jericho. In the walls of Jericho. Very similar situation. But of course she lied. uh, To not protect baby boys. But she lied to protect the spies. Which was very important at that time. By her faith. Now despite the sort of positive outcomes. Of these lies. The Bible nowhere praises the lies themselves. You notice that. The Bible nowhere states that there are instances where lying is the right thing to do, but at the same time, the Bible does not declare that there is no possible instance in which lying could be an acceptable option, such as in these two cases. Now, we read Acts 5. Consider Ananias and Sapphira. They lied, didn't they? They lied to God, and they were immediately killed for it. Why weren't the midwives treated this way for lying and instead were treated well by God? Well, we could also take modern day examples. What about Corrie Ten Boom? Remember Corrie Ten Boom? What did she do? She lied. Uh, In Nazi-occupied Holland, right? Corrie Ten Boom is hiding Jews in her home to protect them from the Nazis. The Nazis come knocking at the door and say, hey, are there any Jews in here? What should she do? Should she tell the truth and allow the Nazis to capture the Jews she was trying to protect or should she lie and deny that she knows anything about them? Now let's remember our context. We have a time of war. I mean, in the three examples I just gave, Rahab, Shifra and Pua, and Corrie ten Boom, these are all pretty intense times. Times of war, times of difficulty, times of sort of worldwide strife to some degree in in some ways. But we see that these are situations of survival and great depression, a great great oppression, and there was a working ruthlessly by Pharaoh to kill these children. And so, in their lie to Pharaoh, Shifra and, uh, and Puah lied to an evil king with an evil command. We also have to note that the Bible does not say that God commended the Hebrews specifically for their lying. The the Bible's stated reason for God's blessing is that the midwives feared God. And it seems that an outworking of that was to save the children. And of course their falsehood came as part of their efforts to save lives, right? We know that. Perhaps God understood the lie in its context against an evil and wicked king. Or perhaps they received God's forgiveness for the act of lying and were blessed for their act of mercy towards the newborn sons of israel another consideration is that the midwives may have been telling at least a half truth we talked about that uh, generally speaking maybe the hebrew wives did give uh, birth quickly and in fact some births did occur before the midwives were on scene it's like when i uh dropped our first child acacia i my wife went into labor i dropped my wife off at the er you know you can drive your car up and uh, you have to go park your car then which is really annoying. But I had to go park my car, and by the time I got back, she was basically delivering the baby. So I almost missed that one. <laughs> but, uh, but, it's, but maybe there's some Hebrew way back in you somewhere. I don't know if they delivered babies quickly. And to all women who deliver babies quickly, maybe you are part Hebrew in your lineage. But anyway, back to the story. They were not, the Hebrew, these midwives were not rewarded for their words, but their works, their faith, their fear of God, and the action that they took against this evil dictator. Now, we need to remember for us that we should not obey mankind's authority if they require us to do something that is higher than God's law, right? And right, this is what the apostles said. Again, this is why we read all of Acts 5, because we remember uh, this is where the the apostle said, "We must obey God rather than man, and the, these midwives obeyed god god 's will before pharaoh 's command, and they and God rewarded them richly for it. Now, lastly, we should just notice that this circumstance for lying for good purposes is extremely, exceedingly rare, right really only have two situations in the Bible. There's some others you could kind of say were sort of related, but these ones are very clear. They, 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 they made up a different scenario, but there was a very positive outcome. They were, in fact, exalted, sort of. They're blessed by God. And, uh, and so, very, very rare. Let's just keep that in mind. Very, very rare when a situation... So, in fact, in our lives, it's very unlikely, just by determination, that this, we would ever have such a situation in our lives, although it could happen. And our text goes on, of course, to say that the midwives' faith and boldness were such that Pharaoh actually had to go to plan D, and that's our, our closing portion for this passage tonight. Uh, Pharaoh had to then go to plan D. He commanded all his people, saying, every son who is born you shall cast in the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. So he tried to enslave them plan A he tried to make it really harsh plan B plan C I'm going to try to sneak kind of in a sly way kill all the children plan D was just forget it I'm just going to outright kill you because I can't, I can't figure out how to control you people so he became an absolute uh, dictator at that time a violent one so we see that since uh, the, the killing of the baby boy strategy didn't work Pharaoh had to move on, and then uh, we're going to go from there, and that's actually going to take us to the story of Moses, how we get in the situation of Moses floating down the river. But what are the lessons here for us today, just in closing from the, the midwives of the Hebrews who valiantly feared God? Number one, we see that they did, and we are, to hold on to the promises of God. Right? We cling to the promises of God, Uh, Even when an unknown situation is about, or the the future is unknown, we go to the promises of God. Secondly, we're to be bold in our faith. And the midwives, of course, displayed really a radical faith, uh, which flowed from fearing God, we're told. And as we read in Psalm 34, O taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. O fear the Lord, you his saints, there is no want of those who fear him. No want of those who fear him no want for anything else if we fear God. We just want God and His truth. So No matter what man says, we walk with God and for, with Him and for Him. Number three, do not compromise. The, uh, the, the, the mid, midwives of the Hebrews knew that they knew it was right. They knew the right thing to do. And they didn't want to compromise on it. They wanted to stay with it steadfastly. And again, from Psalm 34, There is a trusting in God and staying the course despite the difficulty. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And so the the, the midwives of the Hebrews just stuck to what they knew. We're not going to kill these boys, and God provided for them. It's an unswerving conviction that God will deliver us if we continue with his will and his truth. Fourthly, notice that the uh, the midwives of the Hebrews... They, they left really the outcome to God. I mean, they didn't know what was going to happen. They just knew, we're not going to kill these babies. I don't know, maybe we're going to get in trouble by Pharaoh. But they didn't know the outcome. They left it to God, right? They feared God more, and they were like, whatever the consequences are, that's fine. It, it re- reminds us, right, of the, 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 the three men in the fire, right? Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, well, we're not going to bow, so whatever happens, happens. And that's kind of what Shifra and Pua did here. They're just, we're not going to kill these babies, so whatever happens, happens. We need to do that too. We need to leave the outcomes to God. And then fifthly, we need to trust. We need to trust God and obey God. Uh, we need to step forward in faith and, uh, and trust in him. And why can we cling to the promises of God by faith? Why can we step forward in this? And it's because of the hope we have, of course, today in Christ, right? First Peter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And this is the hope of the Christian, right? The living hope of Christ that rules and reigns over all, that he is all, he's over all, and that he will have the preeminence. Just like the Hebrew midwives very likely heard and received the promises of God, we lean on the promises of God too. For in Christ we are in this way children. We are called children of the promise. We don't just know the promises of God. We are those who have received that inheritance as children of the promise. And our hope is in God. and So it must solidly rest there. And it's by faith that our hope stands in that. Amen. Let us pray. The Father in heaven we thank you for this incredible event that took place, this incredible display of fearing God, uh, perhaps even for uh, those that uh, are new converts, those that have heard of the faith, those, these midwives that uh, we don't know their background, uh, but it seems that they trusted in you, they feared you, they had faith in you, uh, they left the outcomes to you. Oh God, help us to do that in all of our day. Help us to Hold on to the promises to step forward in faith, not to compromise and to trust and obey in your word.